0: Hello and welcome to episode 105 of Onion Unlimited podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Torridon. This episode is a crossover with the Two Tongues podcast. It was recorded on Skype.
1: I'm bringing uh, bringing Mr. Daniel Tordon back on today to have a chat mostly about uh, what happened on his adventure to Australia. For those people who uh, follow the podcast, you know that uh, that Daniel met uh, a very nice lady uh, on Twitter and uh, drummed up what became sort of a romantic relationship and against what I think is pretty imp- Credible odds um, went out uh, halfway across the world to, to see her, and things seem to have gone well. So I'm very interested to hear all about that. Daniel, how are you, man?
0: Oh, mate, I'm doing very well, thank you. Yeah, good to be uh, back on. How are you?
1: I'm uh, I'm doing well. Well, I told you that uh, we had a very sick household uh, since Thanksgiving, since the end of November, and uh, my youngest daughter didn't get any better after everyone else. She ended up developing pneumonia. Brilliant. We spent spent some time in the hospital but she's home she's doing well and uh recovering so we're very grateful for that however my wife's aunt who lives with us she's sort of like the um live-in uh babysitter for lack of a better term and she uh broke a bone in her foot and fractured a bone in her other foot the other day so we're dealing with that it's just one thing after the next oh dear. yeah yeah
0: well, I'm glad you, uh, I'm glad your daughter's back. That must have been a real worry. That
1: oh, absolutely. Um, it's really scary, man. Uh, yeah. she, she got uh, she got antibiotics and um, started to do a little better, and then she started to do a little worse. And uh, luckily, my wife has better instincts than me, so she she said, "Look, we got to take her back to the doctor." And the doctor the doctor said, "You got to take her right to the hospital." So it was a little sketchy for a few days. Um, I was. Uh, as a father you know especially with my three-year-old baby girl it was very 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 tough very worried very worrisome very stressful uh, but it's over man it's it's getting better good
0: i glad she's i'm glad she's a lot better
1: yeah thank you thank you so listen i want to i want to ask you about mariella and i want to ask you about australia i know you've got some things uh that you wanted to run by me um but uh with your permission i want to bring something back up that we talked about last time we got together um uh, I told you I told you that I had an, an experience with just drinking too much alcohol where I lost I lost some time mm-hmm. I had a I had a blackout sort of experience in towards the end of the evening and uh, it's not it's unlike me you know I, I feel like I have to qualify that and say that I I'm not a drunk but uh, you know it's a, it was the first time that ever happened to me with any like length of time that I couldn't remember in this case it was the afternoon like four or five hours of time yeah. and I still it's still a black hole I still have no memory of it but, when I brought that up, you mentioned to me something incredible. You said that uh, you said that you that you you went to bed one day when you were eleven and yep. you woke up another day when you were thirteen.
0: Yeah, it. You, yeah. you
1: <laughs> didn't have any memory of being twelve at all and I, and I understand that you know there's reasons for that, and I wasn't really sure you know if I could openly ask you about it, but I guess that's what I want to do. What happened, man? what happened
0: right so um it, it, that that experience goes back to uh, abuse i believe um so i was um sexually abused at school as a child when i was mm. about 11 mm. by a um, by a biology teacher oh uh, my god i cannot remember anymore but um it sort of changed me overnight from being a very happy little lad that was you know very very uh, talkative and happy and, uh, you, you know, kind of perfectly healthy mentally. Almost overnight I had a complete breakdown, um, which, uh, you know, it's bad enough when you're an adult having a mental breakdown, isn't it? But uh, when you're an 11-year-old kid, it's, it's quite something. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, I think it was probably just the way of me dealing with the abuse, actually. Um, it was like, I've spoke before how, I can remember my very first memory as a child, um, about two, three years old. I can remember almost coming online at that age and at the age of 11, it was almost like I went offline. If that makes any sense, mm. it was like whatever, whatever it is sort of, you know, within the human psyche that makes you a person. Um, it was like the, you know, the lights just switched off. Um, wow. and I was just sort of like an automaton for, uh, Two years. I mean, apparently I was still going about doing everything, you know, going to bed, waking up, having my dinner, that sort of thing. (laughs) Um, But I I can't remember any of it for two years. It's like a complete, it's a complete blank. And I remember the disoriented feeling that I had Um, this particular morning. I woke up and for some reason I was feeling a lot better. I think maybe the medication I was on had kicked in. I was feeling a lot better and I remember saying to my mum, how old am I? And she said, uh, oh, you're 13, love. And I said, uh, oh, I thought I was only 11. <laughs> wow. And it's the strangest feeling. Yeah, absolutely.
1: So, you, so you had you had some suspicion then that something that some time had passed. or Otherwise, you wouldn't have asked that question.
0: Yeah, I, I felt I remember feeling very disoriented when I woke up. Um, kind of a bit sort of muggy, you know, my head was a bit muggy and kind of almost like I'd lost track of time, you know? Yeah. But I wasn't I wasn't expecting her to say, you know, two years. (laughs) It was like literally like having amnesia for two years.
1: I can't imagine. Now, but you weren't, you weren't like stunted uh, um, emotionally or intellectually. Like at that time you were learning, you were learning, you were developing. Did you you feel like you were still 11?
0: Um, Actually, yes. Uh, Actually, um, for quite a long time afterwards, I still felt several years younger than, than I actually was. Wow. Yeah, I think, uh, like, when I re-entered, I re-entered school at the age of 14, so my my parents took me out of school when I had the breakdown, and, um, you know, I was out of school for a couple of years, and then I was still recovering for about a year after that, and eventually I rejoined school in um, the, it was the second to last year, halfway through the second to last year at school, because back back in those days we left when we were 16, (laughs) These days it's 18, but back then you could leave when you were 16 um and uh, yeah I, th- I think I was a little bit a bit emotionally uh, stunted I think going back to school it felt like all my peers had sort of moved on and mm. I was like uh, still quite young you know because there's quite a big like- age gap there's quite a big age gap between an 11 year old and a 14 year old isn't it? oh
1: absolutely it's a world of difference
0: world of difference yeah
1: yeah so it's probably hard. it was probably hard to make friends even
0: hmm yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. And then it, it, you sort of add to that as well that I was um, a Jehovah's Witness.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, you're right.
0: a so like, Jehovah's Witness in the entire school <laughs> that doesn't celebrate Christmas or birthdays or join in with uh, you know assemblies and prayers and all this sort of thing. <laughs>
1: yeah. It's funny you say that because I sort of I sort of wondered if the abuse if the abuse that that caused that trauma was. Associated with the church somehow. I was I was sort of ex- half expecting you were going to tell me that.
0: No, it it wasn't. Um, you know, I mean that that is very definitely something that does happen within that church. Uh, there's been quite a lot of um, cases on the news where. But basically, what used to happen is if if abuse took place within the church, you know, if a child was abused, uh, if the elders of the congregation found out, they would discipline the perpetrator from a religious point of view you know they might um they might be disfellowshipped if they're not sorry or they might have um sort of sanctions put on them but back mm-hmm. in the day they didn't used to report it to the police um they used to try and keep it kind of um hushed up you know within mm-hmm. the organization because if if anyone knew there was a problem it would kind of um reflect badly on the watchtower organization yeah it's bad uh, pr yeah and that's kind of bitten them in the bum now because there's an awful lot of people that have come forward over the last few years particularly that have said you know that they were abused within the the church environment and nothing was ever done about it from a criminal point of view um particularly in australia which is where eventually i'm going to end up in australia yeah yeah they had what's known as the Australian Royal Commission that uh, looked into historic child abuse within various different religions, not not just the Witnesses, other religions as well. But they found the uh, the witness organisation was particularly good at hiding things, <laughs>
2: hmm.
0: very good at hiding things because they didn't want to ruin their reputation. You see, so they just kept it quiet. Uh, but my personal abuse was nothing to do with that. It was at school. Uh,
1: so you you mentioned um you mentioned a breakdown and, and I wonder it sounds like you don't really have a memory of the trauma itself it sounds like it sounds like you don't have much memory of the abuser but um, I wonder
0: hmm, – that's interesting I, sorry go on I cut you off a bit there, but oh yes. that's
1: okay I I just wondered if if you if you have any details about what the breakdown was how did that manifest for you
0: right so first of all I do have some memories um I have very almost dreamlike memories of uh, the biology teacher keeping me back after lessons. Mm. All the other kids had been sort of dismissed. He would keep me back after lessons with some sort of excuse normally to, you know, help him tidy up the lab or whatever. Mm. And I've got some very distinct memories of being in a very small side room, which was like a kind of sort of washroom area. Yeah. Uh, Um, and definitely things being done to me, but I can't say a lot more than that. I, my mind kind of freezes up at that point. Yeah. Um, he was definitely a bit of a weirdo because he, uh, he used to ride a motorbike and he liked to go in uh, on rides on his motorbike. And he actually, <laughs> he actually had the audacity to ask my parents if he could take me away on holiday with him. Hol- what? Yeah. And my mum and dad at the time i mean they didn't suspect there was any abuse going on but i think purely from the point of view that we were jehovah's witnesses and you're not supposed to have sort of you know contact with people outside of your religion really mm. they said no you know no no we'd rather he didn't sort of go away with you you know because <laughs> that was a bit of a lucky escape i think (laughs) yeah absolutely man that's
1: that's absolutely terrible daniel i'm very sorry that you that you had to deal with that and that it had that sort of impact on you it's just uh, i mean i really hope i really hope that 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 man suffered and paid and even Uh, that doesn't doesn't make it any better
0: i would imagine he's probably long dead now i mean he was sort of in his Late fifties, sixties. Back then, you know that that's kind of forty years ago. So, oh, man. But it's interesting how it um, it's interesting how it manifested itself. So, I had a complete breakdown, um, and at, at first, it manifested itself in that I didn't want to go to school, which makes a lot of sense. Sure. Um, I literally had to be dragged, kicking and screaming, to school by my parents, and then when I was at school. Um, I was constantly ringing home to my mum. I was constantly trying to escape from school. So, when, you know, when the teachers weren't looking, I'd kind of, you know, s- sneak away and sort of try and catch a bus home. Oh, man. But quite often, my mum and dad would get home from work and they'd find I was at home because I'd escaped from school. <laughs> wow. Um, but at the time, nobody put two and two together. You know, you got a little, a little kid that does all of a sudden, you know, he goes from loving school to all of a sudden hating school, doesn't want to be at school, can't stand to be anywhere other than at home. And, um, you know, straight away that should make you think there's something going on, wouldn't you? Right. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, back then, no, they, I don't think they even suspected anything. Um, and then they, they just kept taking me back to school and back to school. And in the end, I just had a complete, I suppose, the next – way of coping with things if I couldn't escape school was to escape my mind you know yeah absolutely um, and that's where yeah my mind just shut down and can't remember anymore
1: so so what, what what happened that resulted in you getting pulled out of school was it the breakdown or did it did yeah. this all this information well, come out
0: partly the no no The um, my parents only ever well nobody ever said anything about it until I was about 40 and I started getting some flashbacks and started a few things together. And I thought, mm, yeah, I know what happened in that room now. Uh, and I remember saying to my parents, I was abused at school. And they said, oh, yeah, we wondered if something like that might have been going on. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> right, yeah. At the time, you didn't. <laughs> but, uh, uh, do, you, do you have any like do you have like
1: any resentment or anything towards your towards your folks for not? No. For not noticing?
0: No. no, no, I think they were victims of a victims of an era when these things weren't spoken about, you know, right. Um, I, I know <laughs> abuse was, you know, obviously it was there. I mean, in the in the UK, we had a big thing with the BBC with uh, a guy called Jimmy Savile. I don't know if you've heard of him. No. He was a uh, DJ that went all the way back to the 60s, and he used to do uh, Top of the Pops. He was a presenter on Top of the Pops. And uh, there's a documentary on him. You you should look it up on YouTube. Jimmy, he was actually knighted by the Queen. Oh, God. He he was like, uh, he used to do marathons for charity and all sorts. But I always used to look at him and think, he's a bit odd. He's a bit weird, you know? And then it came out after he died. So he died you know, in a huge funeral and everyone was saying, oh, it's such a shame that Jimmy Savile has died. And then after he died, all these people came forward and started saying, yeah, but he used to abuse us. Yes. Uh, top of the pox, he used to give tickets away to young people to go to uh, the studio to watch their their um, their favourite bands playing. You know, oh. it's all the way through from the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. Um, Jesus, losing them in the dressing rooms. <laughs> oh my God! But that's the kind of that's the kind of I don't know what it's like sort of elsewhere in the world, but certainly in the UK, child abuse was not something that used to be talked about. You know, it was um, people just didn't really think of it. And I think I think when you're in a, a religion as well, where we always used to have to call the older members of the congregation uncle and auntie. So mm. one was either your uncle, auntie, or your brother or sister. Okay. Um. And I think I think particularly if you're in that sort of environment, you especially don't suspect, you know, that people could be doing bad things. Sure. So it's a very uh, it's a very sort of uh, protected, naive, naive. I think. And I think my parents were naive, terribly yes.
1: naive. I think I think that's a fair a fair characterization. I, I have to say, Daniel, there's this uh, there's this guy. Boy, I can't remember where I saw him. If it was a TV show or if it was on YouTube or something, but he's a uh, he's a Hindu gentleman in. Um, India and he goes around and he gives alms to people who need it he just goes around and he'll see beggars and he'll give them money or whatever he'll 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 engage in conversation with somebody who's who's uh you know downtrodden or you know whatever and uh, he always calls them like the the women he calls mother the older older women he calls mother and yeah. the older gentleman he calls father and and i, I actually kind of like that i think that that I, I almost wish i could adopt that without being without being looked upon as a crazy man because i think it, uh, it could just kind of emphasizes the human kinship and you know like yeah. motherly characters in particular because i have a great yeah. mother and i love her very much but when i encounter um, motherly figures like that that remind me of her you know i i feel in, in a deep way like it's my my mother you know something yeah. about that i
0: like I, I i get that and i think i think within So within the Jehovah's Witness organisation, there is very much that sort of feeling of brother and sister, you know, uncles, mothers, sisters, this sort of thing. And it's great. It's great when it works well. But if you get a bad person in the mix who is prone to child abuse or um, even things like domestic violence, um, you know, the things that go on behind closed doors, And when, when everybody thinks of each other, you know, as uncle so-and-so or auntie so-and-so, brother or sister so-and-so, it's sort of the, the normal kind of sort of radar that would go off with an abuser, whether it's child abuse or domestic abuse or whatever, it's kind of suppressed a little bit because everybody thinks, oh, that's not possible.
1: Yep. No, yeah. right? Yeah, exactly. It's like this implied That's level of trust.
0: Group, everything's great, you know. <laughs> yeah. Boy. Mm. But uh, in answer to your question, it manifested itself first of all, sort of um, escaping from school. Then, then it started kind of physical manifestations that I became very highly OCD. Um, yeah. Is probably the best way of explaining it. I had a terrible time with a lack of symmetry um so if i was if i was sat on a chair and one of my feet was slightly forward of the other one i would need to straighten my feet up so they were both at the same position sure if i if i if if i moved my hand on one side i had to move my other hand exactly to match it Mm. um and I used to get into these terrible kind of, I don't know what you'd call them, just loops of. Um, I'd move my left hand, and then I'd move my right hand to adjust for it, and then I'd think my left hand needs a bit more movement, and then my right hand <laughs> and I'd sit kind of totally lost, trying to get my position right. Does that? Do you understand what I mean?
1: Yeah, absolutely. It it sounds like. Um, it sounds like. Trying to take control over your life, trying to take control over something that you felt like you didn't have control over. And that was the way that you did it by 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 keeping everything in balance in any way that you could, that you could. So that's really interesting, you know, psychologically.
0: Yeah. When you when you have control taken away and you're you know, when you're when you're the victim of abuse, um, you have no control. I think that's the thing. That's the first thing that an abuser Tries to get you to realise is that they're in control. You have right. no control. You're just an object for their, you know, perverted desires or, or violence or whatever. Mm. Um, you know, and they they actually suppress you as well insofar as like you mustn't speak of this. Right. If you if you tell your parents, we'll uh, I will go around and hurt your parents. Or if you tell the congregation elders, you know, I will whatever, they they, they come up with threats, you know? Right. Um, so well, you're completely out of control. And then you've got to find some way of regaining some control. And when that doesn't work, I think the next stage is then your mind just shuts down because you can't take it anymore. Right. Boy, that's, that's dark,
1: dark and dark stuff, man. Dark stuff.
0: But I came back, I bounced back from that, you know, 14, I re-entered school, I was a bit stunted, I was a bit behind, but I still managed to leave school with um, some decent qualifications Um, and I think considering the abuse I went through, I was fairly well adjusted.
1: (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, it's hard to think about, but you're smart, you're smart and, uh, you know, that gives you advantages and so you can imagine... Somebody had the same sort of abuse happen to them oh. who didn't whose IQ whose IQ wasn't as high as yours. Let's say, um, they may never have recovered. You know, it's like think, you, you uh, at least you at least had that.
0: I think I think one of the things I don't know I don't know if you found this, but one of the things that comes with IQ quite often is like an emotional IQ, where sure. you, when you, where you're able to analyze situations and quite a lot of uh, introspection as well. You're able to sort of look at yourself. And figure out what needs, you know, it, doing, or whatever. Right. I've, not everyone has that, and I think some right. people that are maybe abused, they're damaged forever. They just they right. don't they don't bounce back from it. You know. I've
1: seen it. I've seen it. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I mean, don't get me wrong. It's been tough. You know. I mean, I, I think the abuse carried over into um, basically being a people pleaser. Um, sure. So, Certainly within the religion, I was a people pleaser. You know, anyone in in authority, you know, I would just do as I was told kind of thing and not answer back and not ask questions. And it used to really affect me mentally that, you know, just kind of going along with the flow, you know, doing as you told sort of thing. Sure. Until I got to about 30 odd. And then um, I did start questioning and answering back and saying, I don't believe this. And then I got even more abuse from, um, you know, I got disfellowshipped as a Jehovah's Witness for apostasy, and right. then I, uh, <laughs> I kind of made my way back again. But it's it, that that sort of pattern kept repeating itself, of um, you know, putting up with crap from other people.
1: Yeah. Yeah, well, at least you at least you were able to recognize it eventually.
0: Yeah, until I was fifty, and then I turned around and said, "Look, I'm not doing this anymore." <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> well, you know what? That that's probably a pretty good segue because because getting that, um, you know, I mean, getting to the point where you sort of start steering your own life and start standing up for yourself and making your own way. I mean, then it. Not everybody, not everybody gets there, and you know, even if yours was delayed, it's a good thing that you're that you're there now, and that leads us to the great adventure that you have just been on. And uh, you know, I don't want to jump too far ahead, but it seemed like there was something you wanted to say um, related to this idea of losing time, mm-hmm. something to do with your trip to Australia. Do you you, you
0: want to share that one? Absolutely. So I, um, so I was reinstated as a Jehovah's Witness back in 2009 after my. Uh, three year stint as an apostate and for the next 10 years so from 2009 to 2019 um I basically suffered terrible cognitive dissonance I knew I didn't believe it I didn't believe what I was being taught but I had to pretend I did um for the sake of whatever reputation friends family children you name it um so I had basically 10 years where I felt I was, I suppose, people pleasing and sort of living a, not an authentic life. It wasn't authentic by any means. Tremendous amount of depression during that period, as you can imagine. Sure. Um, all culminating with another another mental breakdown in 2019, 2020 um where i lost everything you know my marriage broke up uh, decisions i made um but i was unhappy i was in an abusive marriage i wasn't happy in the cult i was in and it just all imploded and i lost everything i lost all my family my friends my job my house everything and i and i had another mental breakdown Mm. and for a short period of time in 2020 i tried to go back to the religion at least it's all i knew it's all i knew right the suddenly finding myself sort of without this social framework, this spiritual framework in a big kind of scary world where i didn't know anyone and i didn't know how things worked you know i felt very age regressed if i'm honest yeah um, Still felt like a little I felt like a little kid had just been dropped into the middle of a city, you know, and told to survive. Sure. Um, and I had another mental breakdown, um, tried to go back, tried to please people. But around about April 2021, I just had this sort of self-realization that this this was ridiculous. It was this is the reason my entire life has been like this is that i've been pleasing people all my life and i don't mean i don't mean serving people i think being of service to people is a different thing altogether Mm. but you know people pleasing where you're trying to please everybody that's got an opinion uh, you never really sort of find yourself and april 2021 was the turnaround for me that's when i said enough i literally said enough to the uh religious leaders i said I, I i'm done with this i'm just not doing it anymore and um not long after that I, I had therapy which helped me a lot abuse therapy helped me to sort of see what my authentic self was you mm. know um and i didn't need to please other people um you know if people if you're a decent person decent people will like you for who you are you don't, you don't need to sort of jump through hoops of abuse or find any validation. So that, that was good therapy. Um, and then I started my Onion Unlimited podcast where I started telling my story. And I think just the fact that that gave me a voice started me thinking, like feeling a lot better in myself. Good. And I wasn't interested in a relationship at that point. I thought, you know, I just need to sort of keep working on myself and get myself better. But then all of a sudden, out of the blue, uh, I met Mariella on uh, Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, we just hit it off immediately. Um, She followed my uh, Twitter feed and sent me a message and said, uh, well, what she said was she read one of my tweets and she said, this is like you're in my head.
2: <laughs>
0: was like, ah. it was just something about the, the message that sort of sparked me interest. And uh, we got chatting and just discovered that we were a perfect fit for each other. Um, I was saying to her today, actually, because I chat we chat every morning. Uh, and um, you know how sometimes people say uh, they refer to their partner as their other half absolutely yep i said you're not me other half you're my other whole." because <laughs> I, don't, I don't feel like i'm half and she's half and we're two halves that have come together i feel like both of us have sort of reached a point in our life where we're completing ourself but sure. then we come together and we're even more complete you know it's um yep. it's great so i up to that point i've been a bit of a recluse but uh I did the unthinkable, and I bought a plane ticket to Australia. <laughs> uh, bear in mind, I'd not been, um, I'd not sort of been further than the corner shop for about two and a half years. Sure. Uh, and then I got on a uh, got on a plane and flew. Well, she came over to London. Actually, we spent a week in London together, first time we met each other.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And then we flew ten and a half thousand miles back together over to Queensland and uh, it was great, but I had the strangest experience while I was there.
1: Yes, let's hear it.
0: So I'd been there about four days, and I was laid on the bed, and it was a beautiful sunset outside, and I just sort of dozed off, you know, dozed off. Yep. And then I woke up, and Mariella was literally, her face was almost up to mine. (laughs) It was... um, I think she was – I'm not sure she was trying to wake me up or seeing if I was okay or what. I don't know. But I opened my eyes and her face was there. It was like – I felt so disoriented, really (laughs) disoriented. First of all, I didn't know who she was. (laughs) And she started stroking my head, okay, just above uh, where – you know where the third eye is supposed to be? Yes, yes. She was stroking my head just there. Okay. And I can't – I don't know how to put it into words. It was almost like I had an out-of-body experience. And the previous 10 years, so I'm talking all the way back to 2009, all the abuse I've been through in my relationship, the disfellowshippings, the marriage breakdown being shunned by my family, the mental breakdown, everything. It was like it all went compressed into a little box. And it was like I I was having an out-of-body experience. And it's like I was looking at this box of crap that was just data. That's the only way I can explain it. It was like all of these things up to that point had been so emotional that I'd been so invested in. It was like, it was like just looking at a box of data that had no, no emotional attachment to it. Interesting. Almost, almost like if you had a box and you put a load of sentimental things in that you really loved. Right. With memories. And then a few years later you open the box and you look in it and they, and it means nothing to you anymore. Mm. Um, and I was so disoriented. I said to her, where am I? And she said, you're in Australia. <laughs> said, what year is it? She said, 2022. And I says, did something happen in 2019? She says, yeah. I said, did my marriage break up? She says, it did. And my children not speaking to me? She says, that's right, yeah. And I went back over the, I sort of went backwards, back to 2009. And I was like, asking her, you know, was that real? And she's saying, yep, that was real. Wow. Um, and she thought I was having a stroke. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> yeah, a stroke or heart attack or something. <laughs> oh man! Really freaked her out, mate. I'll tell you, really freaked her out. Um, so, so, somebody- all the, uh,
1: so all of the, so all of the emotional, like baggage and oh. uh, and and everything that go- that went along with those traumatic memories, you just detached from. Is, is that is that yeah. about right?
0: it is but it it was a detachment and a sort of a re-entering my body it was a weird experience it was like i had an you know when people have a near-death experience they say Mm. that everything doesn't seem to matter so much as it did before right yes and then they come back into their body and then they live a different life than they did previously sure it felt rather like that it felt like i'd exited my body i had like a bird's eye view of the last 10 years condensed into like a little singularity that sort of felt like it just didn't matter anymore, you know? Um, Is it it fair? Is it fair to call that a rebirth? It was absolutely definitely a rebirth because then it it felt like I re-entered my body and I came back online and all of a sudden it was 2022. I was in Australia. Mariella was there and everything was fine (laughs) and it was like, Shit, what just happened there?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, listen, man, I know you can't see me, but I'm smiling from ear to ear hearing that story. Uh, I think that's I think that's brilliant. I'm very, very, very happy for you. Um, You know, it's not often that we get to have that sort of a transformation and that kind of psychological Mm -hmm. rebirth. I think that is exactly what. You know the Christian messages. Um, you know the being born again. I think that's what that means. And uh, I'm just so grateful that that. I mean, you're. I'm so grateful that you were able to have that. Um, I'm grateful that uh, Mariella played a role in that. And uh, I wonder, is that is that the moment you decided to stay?
0: Yes. Um, pretty, <laughs> much. <laughs> pretty much, yeah. About the, the day or day or two after, I think it was. I um, I was just sitting there and I, I just thought, this is where I belong. You know. This is where I. it wasn't just it wasn't just um, obviously Mariella's there. So wherever Mariella is, is where my home would be. You know, she, she was originally thinking about coming over to the UK. Mm. But from the minute I arrived in Australia, in, in Queensland, particularly where Mariella lives, um, I could see how much she loved it. it you know, it's like. I could see it was her home and she just absolutely loved living there.
1: Did that make you love it?
0: Mm, Yeah, I think I think it did. Just seeing how happy she was there. Um, And within a very short period of time, I just I just felt like home. It just felt felt like I'd gone home. That's
1: that's brilliant, man. Well, let let me ask you. uh, I mean, I know that when Mariella was in uh, the UK, you guys, uh, you guys had an, an itinerary and you were doing all the things in London that, you know, she, you wanted to be sure that she saw. And I don't know how busy you were, or how much time you guys got to spend yeah. uh, mind melding and get to getting to know each other and like, you know, uh, swimming in that whole kind of puppy love thing that's brilliant and awesome, but doesn't <laughs> last forever. Um, yeah. did, did that, did, was that most, I mean, did you get more of that while you were on Australia or was that, uh, you was, know, was
0: yeah. yeah, the first kind of um, the first week, we, week or so, we were in London together, and uh, I think immediately from the minute we met each other, uh, we met each other under the lovers' statue in uh, St Pancras Station, and I think from the minute we met each other, we kind of knew, yeah, we we felt at home with each other. Nice, um, and then it was, you know, I mean that that first week um yeah just so relaxed and comfortable together it was like we'd been together forever um you know spent spent some good time uh going to shows you know we went to phantom of the opera and les miserables and went out for dinners quite a lot and uh and then that just carried over in you know when we got to australia um mariella had to work and so did i but we both we both basically sort of did our work um during the day and then in the evenings we either went out or you know cuddled up for an evening together and watched a bit of comedy or we did some <laughs> we did some uh, recording of music together
1: i was going to ask you about that
0: yeah uh, we did did some songs together uh, we even met uh, quite a few people that i'd already either met or befriended on facebook um nice. so we met up with Met up with some lovely people while we were there. Um, so I've already got like a little friend base already out there, you know. Even <laughs> nice. <somebody. laughs>
1: so I, I want to I refresh the audience. And one of the things that uh, Daniel said uh, prior uh, was that when he when he tried to imagine, um, like, the, like, I don't know if you want to call it the perfect woman, but when he tried to imagine a, a woman that might, you know, be worthy of his heart after, you know, his first marriage fell apart and all of that. One of the things he said, one of the things Daniel said was that, uh, that he he hoped that she would be able to, that she would be able to sing, that she would, that she would sing beautifully. And then then you tell me you go to Australia and you guys are recording music together. That's awesome.
0: Sitting there recording music together. Yeah, it's great. In fact, what we're going to do when, when, when I get out there, I'm leaving uh, UK for good in uh, February, February 15th. I'm moving out there. Um, we're going to set up a little uh, music recording studio. Nice. So that'll be... Uh, that'll be. Oh, and there's something else that we're going to be doing together. Yep. So um, people that leave Jehovah's Witnesses, and I suppose cults in general, they go through this whole kind of process that I've just tried to describe. Um, we're actually going to produce a series of not so much podcasts, but more a... A kind of series of life coaching uh presentations on on video and audio nice um specifically aimed at people that leave jehovah's witnesses helping them to basically recover uh heal and and rebuild after leaving so that's a little, little project that we're going to be working on together
1: well i think you'll be brilliant at that and uh I think I think you know clearly Mariella Mariella would agree, uh, but also uh, but also um, what, what was that other lady's name that you had on the podcast the uh, from from Jersey?
0: Um. Oh, uh, Marianne.
1: Marianne. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So you know she she I am sure would agree wholeheartedly that you should absolutely do that.
0: Yeah. What I would like to do actually, me and Mariella were talking about this the other day. Is we want to produce like a a structured kind of course that that people can sit maybe over 12 sessions you know with presentations and little worksheets where they can print off the worksheets and work through their you know their issues as they, as they've left a cult but we'd also like to involve some of some people like you said Marianne um there's there's different ones sort of within that community that have been through similar things and it'd right. be really nice to maybe sort of interview some of them and find out, because I think what what happens, and and this is this is not an attack on, ex JW activists per se, but there's two types of people that leave cults. There's ones that kind of uh, move on <laughs> from the cult and heal and never think about it again. Mm. And there's others that do activist work, which is very necessary. I know this is not going to be a popular opinion, but I think sometimes some of the activists get too caught up in the XJW or the JW life. Mm, right. And even though they've left a cult, they're still You're still obsessed every, with it. Every obsessed is probably yeah. the right word. Every day is spent, you know, telling people why. This particular religion is not the truth, and yes, my approach to it is: tell it, tell it well. You know, make your point, but then once you've made your point, move on. Right. <laughs> otherwise, otherwise, you waste the next forty or fifty years of your life, don't you?
1: Right. Yeah. Moving, moving on is the entire point.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And I don't, I don't think you can actually be spiritually healthy. If you've got that level of, I don't want to say hatred, but that level of animosity, maybe. Mm, Right. Against the person or the cult or the religion or whatever that abused you.
1: Yeah, it eats it eats you up from the inside. And, and you know, if, if you talk to wise older people, they'll tell you, you know, when you're when you're angry and bitter and resentful and it gets you all bent out of shape. It's like, you know, you, you know, the, the the person or the organization that you're aiming that at is not hurt by that. You are hurt by that. You you, you know, you're getting eaten up by that. Yeah,
0: I think the, be- the best way to do it, I think. I mean, this this is the way I've tried to do it is tell your story dispassionately um factually you know admit your own mistakes you know because no one's perfect but tell your story as to what happened and if there's any truth in it it will resonate with people but you don't you don't need to keep banging the drum
1: (laughs) yeah 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 Yeah. I'm, i'm with you man yeah well, hey Daniel, I've got like uh, i got like twenty minutes left with you, so I want to ask you two things, and then we can get to uh, we can get to whatever you want to whatever you want to discuss too. But um, I wondered what you thought of Australia. What stood out to you the most? What was the most memorable? What was the most enchanting or unusual compared to what you're used to? Oh, and I also wanted to ask you if you met Mariela's mom and what she thought.
0: <laughs> right. So first things <laughs> first. Um, well, I'll start with the Mariella's mum. So Mariella's okay. parents are Jehovah's Witnesses. So because she is no longer a Jehovah's Witness, they do have some contact with her, but it's limited. Okay. They're not quite as strict as my dad is. My dad won't have any contact with me, um, but they they won't have anything to do with me. I see. Yeah. So. Yeah. As far as our relationship is concerned, it's not happening. <laughs> okay, <laughs> yeah, they, that's what that's what they think. They think it's not happening. You know, if they sort of close their eyes to it and stick their fingers in their ears, it's not happening. You know, uh, nice. which is a bit. Nice. Sad. But uh, maybe that. I, I think particularly because Mariella and I are not married yet. Sure. I think if we're married, that might change. Maybe that. Maybe that'll change a bit. I don't know.
1: Yeah, well, I hope so.
0: Hmm. Um, in terms of Australia as a whole, right, so the very first thing that I noticed when I landed was the sunlight was the first thing. Yeah. Uh, you got to remember that I, I live in a very grey country that is raining a lot of the time.
2: Sure.
0: We've either got rain or fog or mist or snow, and occasionally we get like a week or two of hot sun. <laughs> um, yeah. So I arrived in Australia, and I'm not joking the back of my head was my eyeballs were burning <laughs> with the with just the the sheer sunlight um and the heat at first was uh, it it was unbearable at first I think <laughs> like thirty i think we got up to forty degrees on the hottest day mm. um in terms of uh, once i could see straight so after a few days my eyes started to adjust um where we were was lovely countryside um just abs- and so spacious
2: mm, yes
0: um, like the uk is very cramped you know we've got 87 million people on an island that is 30 times smaller than australia Right. Whereas they've got uh, uh, their continent is thirty times bigger than the UK. <laughs> got twenty-five million people on it.
1: <laughs> so it's. Uh, so what's um, what's the countryside like in Queensland? Is it is it uh, trees and meadows? Is it? Uh, I mean, I know there's lots of, there's lots of desert yeah. there in the middle of the country. So I don't know what you yeah. what you mean.
0: Um, it's quite flat. Uh, there are hills, but it's it's flatter than I'm used to um and it's kind of the trees look very dry okay (laughs) the trunks sort of look like a silver color rather than what i'm used to you know sort of brown trees they look look very they they look dead but they've got leaves okay (laughs) um but just so spacious it's like you know it's like when they build a house they sort of build a house on a plot And then it's like they don't know what to do with the rest of the plot. (laughs) In the UK, you'd be fitting probably about eight houses onto the same shore. Yeah, you know. Um, The people, absolutely lovely people, really laid back. Um, And a lot of, you know, like we went to a few bars and restaurants and that sort of thing, and I just felt immediately at home, you know, with the Australian people. They're very – it didn't feel that different than being in the UK, but maybe just sunnier and the people were a little bit more laid back.
1: So, so I want to, well, first of all, let me just say for the American, mostly American audience, 40 degrees Celsius that Daniel mentioned is 104 degrees Fahrenheit. It's very, very hot, very hot. Um, but, uh, um, I wanted to tell you uh, where I where I live here in Cleveland. Um, it's very I don't I mean I've never been to the UK, but we we have like three months of good weather in the year. It's yeah. a lot of clouds. Uh, the winters are very long and very dreary here. So yeah. I can understand I can understand what you mean. the The best thing I can the best thing I can relate your experience to is um, the first time I went to Florida. Because Florida, you know, juts out into the uh, – basically into the Caribbean. It's very warm, very tropical, subtropical. And I remember leaving in the winter, uh, taking a flight to – to uh, where was it uh, Orlando and getting out as soon as the doors opened of the airport you know I went from the middle of winter in Cleveland to <laughs> you know 89 degrees you know in February in the subtropical climate and it was sticky 30. and hot with palm trees oh, and it was like getting it's slapped in the face
0: I did, I did the opposite of that so I, was, I, I adjusted to thir- 33 36 was sort of average while I was there I kind of adjusted to it over time and I started dressing differently. So I, I was wearing just like a thin cotton shirt, you know, sure, um, and trousers, but a thin cotton shirt, okay. <laughs> no jumpers, any of this sort of thing. And when I left, when I left Australia to come back uh, to the UK, it was 36 degrees when I got on the plane. And mm-hmm. Mariella said to me, are you sure you shouldn't take a jacket with you? And I was like, nah, I'll be fine. I left <laughs> the UK. I got off the plane and it was minus two degrees C. <laughs> <laughs> minus four over the next couple of days. Oh, no. And I was cold.
1: <laughs> so, did you uh, d- Did you learn any? Uh, I know we talked about accents last time we got together. Did you learn any Australian words while you were there?
0: Um, I started picking up, uh, yeah, a few sort of words like, um, like they refer to their dollars as bucks don't they Yeah. okay they do the same in america
1: yeah yeah uh yeah we do absolutely
0: um i can't remember all of the different things but there was like yeah just sort of different words that they'd use and i would think what what does that mean you know um oh a buck is a dollar oh right okay yeah that makes sense now you know that's part of the
1: adventure though you know
0: because a buck in uh, a buck to me is in uk that means a deer
1: Yeah, it means a deer here too, of course.
0: It's kind of what's that got to do with money, you know?
1: (laughs) Well, uh, you know, I actually do think it has something to do with money. I'm going to probably butcher this, but I want to say that in the frontier days, when they were doing, um, when they were they were going out and getting pelts from from different animals, and they were selling the furs. I I think that a that a deer hide got you one dollar, and that's why it was called a buck.
0: Buck. That would make sense. Yeah. 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 That would make sense, but I absolutely, absolutely loved it. I felt like uh, I I was—I'd found my soulmate with uh, Mariella. Um, Definitely love her, and I can tell she loves me, which is nice. Um, I think sort of in previous relationships that I've had, I've always felt a bit insecure. Sure. Like um, you know, if I'm not sort of acting in a certain way or doing a certain thing or believe in a certain thing you know this person is is gonna not love me um there was none of that with mariella we, we she just sort of accepted me as i am you know
1: that's a beautiful thing daniel i, I, I may have told you this before but it, in my first marriage I, f- I felt very much the same way I, I felt inadequate um in every way and it and it really didn't matter how hard i tried she made she made me to feel Inadequate, even still. And so I, I was very, very I was I was messed up psychologically, messed up. I get time I got relationship. And, and when I met my uh, current wife, I I she never made me to feel that way. You know, she she was completely accepting of me. Um, she she showed me you know, she reflected this value that I couldn't see in myself, even though people who loved me saw it in me, my friends and my family, but I was blinded to it. And she finally allowed me to see that in myself. And it was like the most refreshing, the most self actualizing. I mean, I, I, I should probably tell her this stuff, but, um, I just imagined that there was something like that, that happened with you. And I just couldn't be happy for you, happier for you, man
0: like uh when you've been through your life thinking that you are no good that you're you're guilty that you're a sinner that you're um you know undeserving of of anything you know um and i know we're all imperfect we all make mistakes you know um but i think especially sort of in with the religious background that i had you were never good enough never you know um yeah On one hand, you know the idea of Christian um, grace? Yes. That religion never really got that idea. They say that salvation is, um, they use the word undeserved kindness instead of grace. Wow. (laughs) And undeserved kindness, which straight away makes you feel sort of unworthy of anything, doesn't it? Sure, yeah.
2: It's
0: a... you know it's a free gift christ died for you for your sins it's a free gift yeah. you know yeah but then then they make you really work for it and you're never good enough and you have to be you know it, it, your spirituality is only as good as your last church attendance mm. um and it just messes with your head to be to finally sort of be in a relationship where someone says Do you know i love you as you are you know yes you are broken yes you're not perfect um but i yep. love you as you are you know yeah absolutely that, Yeah, that is so refreshing
1: yeah great great grace is to be made worthy of the of the to be made worthy undeservedly but to be made worthy nonetheless of the yes. most precious thing
0: yes. you know yeah yeah absolutely um and I think – I don't know if you sort of find this with your wife as well. Is it is it a bit like looking in a mirror?
1: Um, Do you know what yes, I mean? Yes, I, I think so, I, especially in the early days. See, now see now, I, uh, I've i grown to appreciate the things that she is that I'm not, and that's one of those – going back to what we said earlier about the other half thing. Um, I've, I've grown to appreciate those things. I've grown to rely on her for those things and uh, – um, She doesn't always like that, but but uh, but she does the same to me. But in the early days, it was like that. It it, you know, I I wasn't sure where that came from. You know, because we we grew up in different cities, Um, we grew up in with in different religious traditions, uh, but we're exactly the same age. We're a couple of months apart, so I thought, you know, maybe we had this shared cultural thing where we grew up in the same time period we shared a lot of the same vocabulary and like pop culture references we like the same movies and music and I thought maybe it was something like that but it was far deeper than that
0: yeah deeper than that yeah it's um, do you know the uh, do you know the principle of twin flames have you heard of that one
1: it rings a bell but you'll have to explain.
0: So it's a bit different than soulmates. Uh, a twin flame, the idea behind a twin flame is, you know, on a spirit level we say that, um, you know, who you are is not just this body. There's there's this sort of higher self. Right. The the, the idea behind a twin flame is that it's the same spirit entity that has mm. entered into two bodies.
1: I like that. I like that.
0: And – You're complete in yourself, but there's another version of you out there that is also complete in themselves. But you might be, you might be stronger in some areas and weaker in others. And when you kind of come together, it's not like you found your missing part. It's like you found yourself.
1: Yes, 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 exactly.
0: Just you know, like two jigsaw pieces that sort of fit together perfectly.
1: I, I love that it, it reminds me of something i read um and uh i want to say i want to say it was plato and he mm. said that he said that um when uh when somebody reads homer and they fall in love with the poetry and that you could use any example you could use a song or or you know any anything anything else i guess but in this case it was homer um the the guy read homer fell in love with the poetry he would recite it over and over and over again he loved the words he loved the the poetry you know the beauty of it he was completely infatuated with it and plato said that the reason that he feels that way when other people around him don't is because the spirit that wrote that the spirit that came out of homer that wrote that is the same spirit in him
0: yes i think the i think we probably all have the same spirit to be honest uh, this this is my thoughts on things that we are the same person behind the scenes, but it's not always so apparent because some sometimes we're so much stronger in some areas than others, and so much weaker than others yep. in areas that we seem like completely different people. But I suppose that's where un- understanding comes in, isn't it?
2: Mm.
0: You know, if you were to sit down with somebody and really make an attempt to understand and they made an attempt to understand you, you probably could find an awful lot of commonality. Absolutely. Unfortunately, people don't tend to do that, do they?
1: Yeah, they avoid it like the plague, and I don't understand that.
0: Yeah, yeah, they do.
1: <laughs> hey, Daniel, we've got a few minutes left, okay. and, uh, and I really – I was reluctant because I didn't want to cut any of this short, but uh, but I do want to ask you, you said you had some things you wanted to run by me, and do we have time for at least one of those?
0: Uh, i think we've covered them actually uh, oh we did yeah so uh, one was the uh, one was the thought about coming back online yes and uh, the other was this idea that uh, it's not so much your other half it's your other whole mm.
1: I like that. I like that. You know, this coming, this coming back online thing just reminds, just popped something in my head. I want to tell you about. I know that you've never had um, a psychedelic experience, and you had worries, of course, in the UK l- legal worries about you know mm-hmm. pursuing even having that experience, which I understand. But one of the things that I remember having one of those experiences myself is you do lose your sense of being in mm-hmm. your body, or even being. You know, in the world, if the experience is intense enough and. When you you sort of come back down slowly from that, and it, it almost this is a poetic sort of thing, but it's almost like your soul was sort of floats back down from this ethereal place and settles back into your body. And I do I do feel like I've like I come back online to a certain degree when when like normal reality starts to take hold there's this moment where the the fantasy of it is still blended with the reality, but the reality comes back online, and you notice it. It's like you notice that you've become yourself again. So that's it's it's ne- neither here nor there. But I wanted to mention that to you.
0: Yeah, it's almost like um, it's like almost like waking up in the morning. Yes, right? yes, that, but more more ex- more extreme. I I honestly do think it was something to do as well with the fact that Mar- Mariella was um, uh, stroking the area of my head that was the mm-hmm. third eye. Yeah. Um, they apparently around that area, and particularly the the crown, uh, the top, the crown chakra, and what have mm. you area. Um, it's it's not always open. It's um, for obvious reasons. If, if you know, if your crown chakra was open all the time, you could be. Uh, it would almost be like a uh, a Wi-Fi router that everyone knew the password to. Yeah, you know? I see. I see. Yeah. Um, so you you kind of open open that as and when you need to sort of have a spiritual experience. But um, I wonder if something like that happened where she sort of was, you know, stimulating this sort of top part of my head kind of thing. And yeah, whether I, I sort of, you know, whether it sort of opened a gateway that allowed me to sort of come out of my body, see everything for what it was, you know, get everything over the last 10 years, all straight and tidy and nice <laughs> yeah. box. And then uh whew, come back in again,
1: you know, <laughs> you know, I, I wonder if that, um, crown chakra business, I wonder if that is also, um, operative during the psychedelic experience, because I, I was t- talking about having my own so, sort of sense of an out of body experience, just sort of in the same way you described. And I, I'm, you know, I don't know enough about, um, yoga and hinduism and chakras to, to be able to write it off but I've, i told you i've been skeptical of those sorts of things but i just wonder from the perspective of some from the perspective of a yogi if they would say that the psychedelic substances open that crown chakra and allow for those sorts of experiences if they're connected
0: i think psychedelics will do it i think meditation can do it um so the the thing is it's like um it's like i say if that crown chakra was open all the time that that would be a problem because you know either you'd be floating out of your body all the time or things you don't want would be floating in so right. it's kind of one of those it's 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 the the chakra that you open sort of on demand kind of thing yep um and i think i think it, it does actually feel like you're you're kind of exiting and re-entering through that point. Mm. Um, and I think probably psychedelics do help with that.
1: Yeah, I definitely can't write that off.
0: No, I, I think there's there's probably, probably something in that. Uh, do,
1: Daniel, do you remember me sending you that article on Twitter about the uh, spinach in Australia causing people?
0: <laughs> yes, I'll have to start eating spinach.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I'll just tell the audience. So, for those people who've seen it, uh, it's been pretty big news, but there was uh, some sort of a nightshade plant that got contaminated in spinach in Australia, and a whole bunch of people were claiming to have had uh, psychedelic trips while eating their salad. <laughs> so, I told Daniel, I said, uh, here's your chance, buddy. Go oh, go have it's a salad.
0: psychedelic spinach. Just <laughs> you know, one little thing to leave you on as well. Yes. Maybe we can talk about this another time. Um, the silver cord um don't know if you've heard of the silver cord does it, um,
1: it have does it have to do with the the greek myth of cutting the cord and ending your life that that being your lifeline or something
0: oh uh, it might it might well do but the idea oh. of the silver cord is um when people do like astral projections where they they kind of exit their bodies you know mm. um there's, there's apparently there's like what what they call the silver cord that basically attaches your your spiritual um, self to your body. Uh, yes, okay. Because you know there's a risk if 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 you kind of separated yourself and kind of went on a bit of a trip that you might never find your way back.
1: Sure, <laughs> sure, like, yeah.
0: It's it's like the connection between body and body and spirit or body and mind. Interesting thing. Have a look at uh, I think it's. Is it Ecclesiastes 11 or, or Proverbs? I'll have to look it up. Um, there's a section in the Bible that talks all about what it's like when you get old. Um, and it, it's poetically, it's sort of saying, you know, the, the windows to the street become dull. That's referring to your eyes.
2: Yeah.
0: And it, it sort of goes to all these sort of things that are going wrong with you when you get old. And one of the things it, it refers to is the silver cord. Oh, interesting! Yeah, the silver cord being broken. It um, made me wonder whether or not you know that that is sort of a thing that happens at death, where sure. you know at death your spirit actually you know that cord is broken and you don't re-enter your body anymore. So when you have a near-death experience, it's almost like you're exiting your body, but you've still got, got this sort of cord connecting you. Yeah, and it's not quite broken. Um, yeah, that's interesting.
1: Yeah, there's a there's an image from Greek mythology. I'll probably butcher this, but I want to say it's the Fates um, or the or the Weird Sisters. I can't remember, I can't remember what. But there's these there's um uh these mythological characters that are responsible for each each person's fate. And um, in fact, I'm gonna uh, this is this is silly, but I'm gonna go back to the Disney uh, the Disney um, animated movie Hercules from when I was a kid that came out. And one of the scenes in that was. The fates were trying to kill the baby Hercules, and they pull the silver string that represents his lifeline, uh-huh. and, they, and they and they try to cut it to kill him. But at that moment, he uh, he he didn't drink the last drop of poison that the that the, whatever, so that was going to make him mortal. So he still had that tiny bit of immortality. And when she tries to cut the cord, the scissors won't cut it because he's a god. He's a, a demigod. So there's something deep. Uh, about that silver cord idea that goes it clearly goes back to the Bible, but also into ancient Greek myth. That's really interesting, man.
0: Well, it's I, I just found the verse. Uh, it's Ecclesiastes twelve, verse six. Well, yeah, let's end up, let's, uh, let's end on that. Read that for us. The whole of Ecclesiastes twelve, which is talking poetically about your body breaking down and you dying, but it's 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 six and seven. Okay, I'll just read it. It says, "Or ever the silver cord be loosed." Or the golden bowl be broken, the golden bowl is a reference to your brain. Mm. The pitcher be broken at the fountain or the wheel broken at the cistern, then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, but the spirit shall return unto God who gave it. Beautiful. Interesting, yeah? The silver cord being loosed. That's and a- the spirit returning unto God who gave it. Ooh, that's an awesome verse.
1: Well, that, that's great, man. I listen. I appreciate you sharing. Um, I appreciate you making time for me. Hopefully, we can do one, one or two more of these before you leave in February. If you still have your, if you still have your laptop with you, let's do it. Yeah, absolutely, Daniel.